That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus 
had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So far our reading from God's word. So this morning we're going to be looking at fear and faith. Now as we've been working through our way through the book of Mark, we've been tracking the story of Jesus. And every piece of Mark's account gives us a little bit more information about who Jesus is. His power, his purpose and his proclamation. And this is no different for us this morning in today's passage. As we move out of a section on Jesus' teaching through parables, we're moving into a section of Jesus performing miracles. Now remember we have been coming to see that, sorry, now we've been seeing people who have been following Jesus around. They've been following the Jesus show. They want to see Jesus teach, they want to see him heal, they want to see him forgive. And as we continue to track Jesus and his disciples, we see them leave the crowds. We see here that Jesus leaves the crowd and pushes the boat out a little bit. Remember we talked about the water pulpit. He now is about to sail across the Sea of Galilee to the eastern shore. It's important that the destination of Jesus' journey here is is not lost on us. The trip across the water here is Jesus' first visit within his ministry to a Gentile region. This serves as another reminder for us that Jesus was coming for the Jew and the Gentile. A great reminder for the original audience and a reminder for us today. Jesus has come for all. Now Mark has some clear themes throughout his Gospel account. One of those is the theme of insiders and outsiders and that's scattered throughout the Gospel of Mark. The Jewish-Gentile divide is just another example of this. The ones that Jesus had chosen to be his select crew of insiders made up of The odd squad of outsiders is another example. This odd squad has been starting to understand more of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. But they seem to kind of oscillate between comprehending and understanding and an inability to perceive what is really going on. Sometimes they understand, even if not fully, Jesus' mission and his identity And at other times they seem to have absolutely no idea at all. But as we have seen over the last few weeks, they are working to understand. They have a responsiveness. The Holy Spirit is revealing truth to them about who Jesus is. And we know that the culmination of this understanding for the disciples doesn't come until Pentecost, until their hearts fully understand and their minds comprehend who Christ is truly is. Now when Jesus was teaching in parables earlier, he was teaching about the kingdom. And we've talked about this. He was describing the nature of the kingdom, how to be part of the kingdom. Mark now turns his attention to explaining more of the nature of the king of the kingdom. He does this through some unpacking some miraculous acts for us. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Some miracles performed by Jesus, the king. Mark is showing us here that Jesus is the king over the natural and the supernatural. We see in this passage that it was late in the day. Jesus was physically exhausted from teaching and he told the disciples to head over the water to the other side. Now for some reason whenever I 
read this story, I seem to always imagine a little boat, a bit of a tinny with a couple of guys in it, going out over the water. But that's not likely what happened, according to many scholars. This is, is more likely to be a boat of about 8 metres by 2 metres and we've got at least 13 passengers here on this, on this vessel. The stretch of water that they're about to go across is actually very well known for storms. Now many of the disciples in the boat were fishermen. So dealing with a storm was not something new to them or something unknown, something that would freak them out by just a little bit of rocking of the boat. But the storm we read about here is not just a little bit of rough water. Verse 37, A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. We see these accomplished seamen fearing for their lives. The disciples feared the storm. They try to get the boat under control, but they can't. And where is Jesus? Well, as we read on, we see he's having a nap, resting his head on a pillow. So the disciples wake him up and basically they say to him, what are you doing? There is a massive storm. Don't you care about us? Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples wake him and say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I personally quite like storms. I um, grew up in Queensland, in Brisbane, and we saw lots of thunderstorms. I love storms. I love the sound of the rain and the wind, the thunder, the lightning. But that's only when I'm inside watching that nature show from somewhere quite safe. The comfort of my own home. I don't like storms at all when I'm on a boat, doing the uh, Spirit of Tassie trip or on a plane. Now in those moments I fear the storm. The fear rises and I have to remind myself to have faith in the vessel in which I'm in, be it the ship or the plane, and have faith in the knowledge and the experience of the captain of, of that ship. Or plane. But if the captain was asleep, staying calm in that storm just seems absolutely impossible. You see, the disciples were freaking out. They were fearing for their lives. Now, as we read this account, we can't help but think of another biblical account of a storm at sea. Jonah. There are some significant connections and comparisons between the two accounts. We read in Jonah 1, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All of the sailors were afraid and cried out to their own God. They threw cargo into the sea to try and lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay asleep. The captain went and woke him up and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we won't perish. You see, Jonah was on a boat and went to sleep. The storm grows, the sailors are afraid, just like the disciples were, they're freaking out. They are in fear of the storm, fear of losing their lives. They go, they wake him up, they have a go at him for sleeping. Jonah wakes but he doesn't immediately offer a solution. As we read on, we see that they cast lots, throwing the dice to find out who was responsible, and it's only then that Jonah speaks up. And he says, If I die, you will live. Throw me into the sea. 
You see, the immediate response of Jonah and Jesus is quite different. But as we read on through Mark, we see that Jesus' response is not that different. In Matthew 14, Jesus refers to himself as the true Jonah because one day Jesus calms all storms. He stills all waves and he beats all brokenness. He kills death. He calms and quashes the ultimate storm of sin through his work on the cross. Because Jesus is stronger than the storm. But back here in Mark 4, his immediate response to being woken up by his fearful disciples, who accuse him of not caring, is to humbly get up, not rebuke them, but rebuke the storm. Quiet, be still. Now Jesus doesn't perform some big ritual here, there's not an incantation, he doesn't call on a higher authority. The text doesn't read, and he woke and said, in the name of Yahweh be still. Jesus wasn't saying, I am someone who has access to the power and authority that can calm the storm. Jesus is saying, I am the power and authority. Jesus is declaring his authority over nature. This is a command from the creator to the created and it immediately responds. John's Gospel, as we read at the beginning of the service, teaches us that Jesus is the word spoken in creation. He was there at the beginning of the earth and that that word became flesh, came to earth and dwelled amongst us. The calming of the storm here is an example of creation's obedience to its maker. Now, interestingly, the original words that Jesus uses here are actually the same words that would be used for a Jewish exorcism. The commanding words used to bring something into submission. Now, such language and phrasing which was used for evil spirits is used here by Jesus to command the storm. In Mark 1, Jesus used this phrasing to drive out evil spirits. Mark 1, verse 25, Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Jesus is saying, be still and stay still. He is bringing order out of chaos. He is demonstrating his power over nature. Throughout the Old Testament we also see that water is often representative of hostile forces towards God over which God prevails. The God who parted the sea for safe passage for his chosen people is calming the sea for safe passage of his chosen disciples, his odd squad. Jesus calming the storm actually freaked the disciples out even more than the storm was. It wasn't the storm that they were terrified now of, it was him. Verse 41 they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this man? This is the same question we see back in chapter 1 of Mark after Jesus commands out the evil spirits. The disciples are wrestling in their understanding with the reality of who Jesus really is. In Mark 2, it's the teachers of the law who ask this question when Jesus forgives a man's sins. Now in chapter 4, the disciples ask it again. Who is this guy? Well, the signs point to a clear answer. 
Only God can forgive sins. Only God can command nature. Jesus is God come to earth in human form. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King, the promised King. The disciples' fear of the storm drove them to reach out in desperation, in faith, by waking up Jesus. Now the picture of someone falling off a cliff and reaching out and grabbing a branch is a common one. You see it in lots of films and cartoons. In that moment, the person is falling. You don't normally see them conducting a full root-to-spread-strength analysis on the branch. Or they don't whip out a tape measure just to check the thickness of the trunk and just to calculate whether that works with their own weight and the velocity of which they're falling. They see a branch, they reach out, they grab it. They don't have time to think about how strong it is. They're just looking for something to put their faith in. The fear of falling to their death is before them and they're reaching out. In the story here before us, the disciples reach out to Jesus. They didn't expect that he could fix the problem. They didn't expect that he could stop the storm because when he did, they were amazed. They were terrified. You see, the storm was strong, but Jesus is stronger. They feared the storm and now they fear the one that they'd put their faith in. The calming of the storm didn't depend on the level of their faith. It came when they called out to Jesus for help. You see, friends, it's important that we know that it's about the object of our faith, not the amount of our faith. It's about the object of it, not the amount. Our boat journey now continues on calm seas with an odd squad of freaked out men Jesus and his disciples cross the Sea of Galilee to the eastern shore, which is the Gentile region. Now Jesus is demonstrating, as we said earlier, through his physical ministry that he has come for all, Jew and Gentile. Because it's not about who you are, it's about who he is. And as they reach the shore, they're greeted by a man, a very strong man, a madman, a wild possessed man. Verse 3 of chapter 5. This man lived in tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons with his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. This was a strong man, a strong man who could not be chained. He would tear apart the chains of iron used to contain him. He was powerful. He had put fear into the lives of those around him. People feared this strong man. Now if we pause and reflect on the scene that is actually unfolding here before us, there's this strong, mad, wild man, outcast, who lives in the graveyards, only where the poor and outcast people would ever dare to live. The locals are in fear of this man. They can't bind him. He's too strong. And this man sees a boat approaching and he runs towards it. He takes off. Now you can almost see the disciples still shaking from the whole storm situation, seeing a mad naked man running towards them. What are they thinking? And all of a sudden he stops and drops to his knees in front of Jesus. 
and says, verse 7, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Yet another sign of who Jesus is. Immediately the evil spirit is recognising that this man is Jesus. He is the Son of God, that he has power over them as evil spirits. Just as the storm recognised Jesus and Jesus' authority, so does the evil spirits. Jesus replies, addressing the evil spirits, and they obediently respond to him. Now I wonder what the odd squad, the disciples, were thinking in this very moment. First it was the winds and waves, and now it's the evil spirits. Jesus is continuing to show them a relationship between fear and faith. Have faith in me. Don't fear them. Have faith in me. Now on the hillside as we read on, we see there's a herd of pigs. Another pretty clear sign that we're not in Jewish country anymore. Pigs were unclean to the Jews and eating them was forbidden. They were considered the most unclean of all animals. The herding of swine was a very degrading occupation for a Jew. However, the meat of the pig was quite profitable for the Gentile. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd of about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. It's important that we note that we're not talking about one or two pigs here. This is 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pork. There are many times where I have read this story before and I've had the picture in my mind of a dozen pigs running down the hill, splashing in water. This is no pepper Pig episode here, people. It's not a few pigs jumping in muddy puddles. This is 2,000 pigs being possessed by evil spirits rushing full pelt down into the water and drowning. The locals who witness this freak out, not surprisingly. They run off themselves to tell others of what they've seen. The charging herd of thousands of pigs running to their death into the sea. And on their return, they see the remarkable change in the man who the spirits were possessing. Only moments ago, he couldn't be bound, not even by chains. Now he's in his right mind, dressed, sitting with the man who cast out those spirits. There are two stark reactions to the events that unfold here. Firstly, it's the reaction of those who saw and heard what happened and were terrified, just like the disciples were with the storm. They ask the question, who is this man? Look at what he's done. The madman who could not be contained is sitting there in his right mind. The pigs, they just ran to their death. This man tells demons what to do and they do it. This man is stronger and they feared him. Verse 17, the people began to plead with Jesus, leave the region. They were fearful of his power, the powerful force which was there at work amongst them, a force that they couldn't understand or comprehend. They pleaded with him to go. They didn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand who this man was. 
They'd feared the strong man and now they fear the stronger man. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. The reaction of the strong man himself is the second reaction. Jesus didn't let him come with him. He said, go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has shown mercy on you. It's possible that this man didn't fully understand who Jesus was in this moment, although we know the evil spirits that possessed him did. What this man shows is faith. Someone he trusted, someone he wanted to follow. He begged to be a part of it. He wanted to join that odd squad. And in this case, Jesus directed him to go and share his story. We've seen the fear of the storm. We've seen the fear of the strong man. But what about the stronger man? What about the king? What about Jesus? Should we fear him? Should we fear Jesus? Well, after the storm was calm, the disciples were still terrified. Not of the storm, but of Jesus. After the evil spirits were cast out of the people, the pe- uh, out of the man, the people were still terrified. Not of the strong man, but of Jesus. Now people today so often seem terribly afraid of the concept of fear. And of something that we fear actually being something that is good. We want to be motivated and motivate others from positive emotions such as love and gratitude. We want to get comfortable and we feel very uncomfortable with the use of fear in any way to motivate us. Unfortunately, believers and even some Christian leaders seem to work to try and convince us that we should never experience any emotion of discomfort when contemplating God's holiness, his justice, his judgment, his wrath. The fear of the Lord is so often packaged up simply as respect and awe for one who is more powerful. And we're told that we shouldn't be afraid of God, just respect him. While it's right to be in awe of God, fearing God is so much more than just to be in awe of him. See, if we struggle with this fear of fear, it comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of misunderstanding who God is. The Bible speaks a lot about fear. We could actually do a whole sermon series on it. And don't worry, we're not about to continue that right now. But it's clear that we need to fear God. Why? Well, to put it simply, because he's God. He's not some little nativity doll we can put in a box for 11 months and then put out on our mantelpiece. He's not someone we should wheel out once a week on a Sunday to look at and feel good about ourselves. He's not some big warm hug in the clouds. He's the creator and the commander of the universe. Knowing how big he is and how little we are 
actually takes the knowledge of God wanting to be in a personal relationship with us to a whole new level. This is a fear, a healthy fear, that actually doesn't push us away but draws us in. A healthy fear of God is an incentive not to run from him but to run towards him. Healthy fear is not debilitating or destructive. It's motivating. It drives us to cling closer to Christ in desperate and persevering faith and trust. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, I think Mr. Beaver said it really well when speaking about Aslan, the lion. He's a great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. Now many of us here today can empathise and connect with the disciples and the crowds. We fear what's going on around us the storms, the madness, sinking in life and we wonder where is God. Sometimes he seems to be asleep, absent, unaware of our struggles. Jesus isn't unaware. He's waiting for the right time. Romans 5 tells us, In verse 6, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross took the punishment for sin. He took the wrath. He claimed and calmed the ultimate storm. His power is limitless, but so is his wisdom and his love. No matter what shape the world is in, no matter what shape your life is in, no matter how rough, no matter how tough, no matter how out of control, he can provide eternal calm. He has the power He can provide the peace. You see, at the cross, Jesus defeated sin and death and through faith in him, we can be with the king in his kingdom forever. Now, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I urge you to listen to his call. Feel free to catch up with me or others who are here this morning and learn more about what it means to follow the stronger king. If you are a believer and a follower here this morning, a Christian, be reminded that as we walk with the Lord, we discover that God reveals to us our self-delusions so that he can reveal truth that sets us free. He casts us down only to lift us up again. He sits in judgment over our sins but forgives us nevertheless. You see, it's by faith in God that we can stand 
as undeserving children of the promise. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence amongst us here this morning. We thank you that Jesus has power over nature, over the natural and the supernatural. We thank you that these miracles that Jesus performed were teaching his disciples more of who he was, the Messiah, the chosen King. Father, help us to understand and grasp more of what that means for us that we may respond to you and walk with you, knowing that that doesn't mean that in this life things will always be calm. Lord, we ask that you don't keep us from the storm because in the storms we understand more of who you are and more of how much we need to rely on you. Guide us, protect us that we may be with you forever in the new heaven and the new earth by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.